Welcome to Francis Investment Council's Fiduciary Advice Podcast, a discussion of timely issues facing retirement plan sponsors, featuring the firsthand insights and experiences from our clients who are working through the same daily battles faced by most plan sponsors today. I'm Joe Topp, Vice President, Investment Consulting Services. Today, we're excited to have joining us representatives from Marquette University's Retirement Plan Committee to discuss the effective steps they've taken to better manage and ultimately reduce their plan's costs. We're pleased today to welcome two of Marquette's senior leaders, Claudia Page, Vice President for Human Resources, and Jessica Franken, Associate General Counsel. Joining me from Francis Investment Council is Mike Francis, President and Co-Founder of the firm, and Kevin Scow from our Minneapolis office. Both Kevin and Mike have been consulting the qualified retirement plan sponsors for over 25 years. As background for our listeners, Marquette University is a Catholic and Jesuit university. It's home to over 11,000 undergraduate and graduate students located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Their 403B plan covers over 4,200 current and former employees, and they've enjoyed a decades-long relationship with their current record-keeping provider. In the previous Fiduciary Advice podcast with Marquette University, we discussed changes to their oversight process that resulted from a review and an updating of the plan's governing documents. Today's discussion we're going to focus on the process market employed to get a true understanding of their 403B plan's costs and the modifications Francis Investment Council helped to negotiate that resulted in meaningful reduction of their overall administrative fees. Turning to you, Jessica, one area that Marquette has really done well over the years is monitoring the plan's costs. What's contributed to your success in this aspect of the oversight process? Well, I think it was a combination of things. Everybody, of course, was always looking for fees to be appropriate. But what we didn't necessarily have and what Francis Investment Council brought to us was meaningful benchmarking and feedback on the direction that fees were taking in the marketplace as a whole. Our record keeper has done a good job over the years They have, when we've asked, always responded well to our request to change things and to pursue things that were emerging in the market, and they did in this case as well. So it was the external benchmarking really that helped us to recognize that it was time to go back and sharpen the saw with them on fees and also to make sure that they were being allocated appropriately across our participants. Jessica, I would jump in here too, just to comment on the fact that our retirement plan committee did have investment professional and expertise on it. And that's great, but that only goes so far. And the importance of having a third party objective viewpoint and that benchmarking that Jessica mentioned is so critical in your decision making. And it it just brings another layer of data that even the most diligent retirement plan committees doesn't have that global perspective that I think the third party brings in. And that's where Francis added some significant value and insights to the group. Well, you're all busy with full-time jobs and the retirement plan and as important a benefit as that is often doesn't get the time and the attention on your calendar that, that it merits. Mike, one of the benchmarking tools and certainly the concept that was important at Marquette was asset-based versus participant-based fee methods. Talk a little bit about the discussions with and how Marquette's fee structure evolved. 
When we first started talking, Marquette paid all of its plan administrative fees, as most plans do, with an asset-based fee. In other words, a fee that was attached to the plan's asset basis point kind of calculation. One of the things that certainly we've learned and most who are following along have seen is litigation in this area always comes back to a different kind of calculation, and that is a per head calculation in terms of determining reasonableness of the fee. And so we suggested and the committee, the retirement plan committee agreed that it would make sense to go back to the record keeper and say, look, we'd feel more comfortable going forward if we converted this administrative fee calculation from an asset-based to a per head calculation. And with 3,000 or so participants, you get well under $100 a head, well under $100 a head in that kind of discussion. And that really does help insulate participants from rising fees in, in the inevitable environment where plans assets are growing, either because the market's going up or contributions from the employees or contributions from Marquette, et cetera. So these plans do generally get larger over time and we're all for the record keeping organization getting paid and making a profit. We just wanna make sure that fee remains raised reasonable as this plan's assets continue to grow. And so again, to the record keeper's credit, when the retirement plan committee came to them and said, we'd like to restructure the arrangement away from an asset base to a per head, they said, no problem. And shortly thereafter, we had a new arrangement and we've already seen it in a 24 month period, the savings that it has generated for plan participants. And for anybody listening to this, yes, I would say that if you're still using an asset-based fee to pay for administrative and or advisory fees, the sooner you can get away from that approach and methodology, the better off your participants are going to be. Claudia, the relationship with the service provider is critical for the support team as well as the participants. This negotiation and the discussion about fees is never a, an easy topic. What factors led to a successful outcome, yet not a disruption to or an impairment of the relationship? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think when you go into it armed with data, and just even that word sounds like it's confrontational. It was never confrontational. It was never anything other than respectful, but going into it to say, you know, we have this additional data. We recognize what are the best practices in the industry, and we'd like to open up a conversation about this. And I think that the way that Mike and the team worked with us to have those conversations really set the path for us to be successful, to have a good conversation. And Mike, I was listening, I was kind of smiling there when you said that we asked them and then they came back. I think there was a couple more back and forth than just we asked them once and they came back and said, sure, here it is. But, you know, again, without the benefit of having the benchmark data and the best practices and to push, challenge them in a very respectful and very good way that we want it to be a win-win. We're not looking for them to do it for free for us, but we're really looking to maximize the benefit to our plan participants. And Mike, as you pointed out in these last couple of years, our plan assets have grown a lot. The market has been pretty robust. And so I think it was really important timing. And at the end of the day, it was a great thing to go to our board of trustees and the finance risk committee to which we report to say, hey, we were able to achieve a huge reduction in plan administrative fees on behalf of our participants. What a great way for them to feel confident that we are exercising diligence in our fiduciary duties to the plan. 
And that was a good outcome. Claudia, you took it then a step further. You figured out how much to pay your service provider. But then there's a whole other side of that discussion. And that is the source of funding to pay this cost or pay this fee. And that comes down to the allocation and how the participants participate in the plan's costs. Talk a little bit about that step, which was really the participant-focused approach. Right. I think it would have been easy to kind of say, hey, we achieved reduced fees. We're done. Let's move on to other things. But I appreciate the fact that we were encouraged to, okay, now what's the next step? How have the fees been allocated to the participants? And thanks to some analysis, and again, with Francis' counsel on this, we saw that a growing number of participants were paying really very little or no administrative fees because they were invested in funds that didn't pay revenue credits. And so... And others, though, were starting to pay more and more. And we realized that we really wanted a plan that was allocating the fees more equitably among all the participants, regardless of their investment elections. And so we did change our fee allocation method. And again, I think that with some exceptions, for exceptions for accounts under $1,000, we didn't touch those at all. But we think that the outcome of that is a much more equitable approach to our fees. So Kevin, I'd like to bring you in on this discussion. Having a, an extensive background on the record-keeping side and the plan administrative side, were there obstacles, are there hurdles that plan record-keepers have in creating flexibility in the fee allocations to participants? There shouldn't be, Joe, but it's worth a discussion with your vendor to confirm that they understand what your intentions are and how they can then accommodate the method. If it's a simple pro rata allocation or if you're going to do a combination of a per capita and a pro rata, if you're going to rebate revenue credits, if they do happen to exist, how that's going to be done so that you understand as a committee that the decision you're making to put forth that affect those employees can be executed and done, and more importantly, be done accurately so that when they review their statements or do an assessment at the end of the year to understand what those fees truly are, it's easy and transparent for them to understand it. And secondly, it does need to be disclosed within the fee disclosure. So again, open communication, whoever is preparing the fee disclosure notice for the upcoming year needs to understand what the method is and that that obviously is reflected accurately within that document. So Mike, the ultimate allocation methodology was kind of a two-part. Could you explain that and talk a little bit about where that falls within kind of the emerging best practices in the industry? When it comes to allocating fees to participant accounts, retirement plan committees like the one at Marquette have to understand they really have two separate constituencies. You've got one group of plan participants, we'll call them the successful saver group, the folks that have been there a long time and have been diligently saving and have built up a significant account balance. And I know at Marquette, they've got dozens and dozens of participants with half a million dollars and more in plan assets. Such a great environment and people stay and these accounts grow. So on one hand, you've got that large contingent of long-term employees and participants with big account balances. But then you also had this other constituency, this group of new hires. And quite frankly, that's actually oftentimes in most plans, a, a larger constituency, people that are just getting going, younger people, lower paid people, et cetera. And that group will have typically a smaller account balance. And Marquette was particularly sensitive to that group. And as Claudia mentioned, they decided as a matter of policy that for those that were just getting started under $1,000 in the account balance, they wouldn't pay any fees at all. 
So you've got these two constituencies. And when you look at the two primary methods of allocating fees, one method benefits one group and the other method benefits the other group. And so we recommended and the committee agreed to implement kind of a, a hybrid model, which essentially says, okay, we're going to allocate and charge every plan account a fee per quarter. Let's say just hypothetically, it's $10 a quarter. This will cover the basic operational demands of the record keeper. But to the extent there are additional administrative costs, things like custodial services and advisory services, et cetera, which may have more to do with plan assets and account assets, we're going to add an additional asset-based or basis point fee on top of that. So the hybrid method that Marquette elected to employ is a flat per head fee plus a very, very small basis point fee for every account over time. And we believe that puts the Retirement Plan Committee and Marquette in the absolute best position to respond to participants who are concerned about admin fees. And again, those participants could be on the successful saver side and say, you know, I've been here a long time. Why am I carrying everybody else's water with an asset-based fee? Or it could be the small account folks who say, well, gee, I don't have a lot of money in this plan. I shouldn't have to pay a ton of money just to have an account here. So this methodology kind of meets both groups halfway, and we think it is a, a superior methodology. And again, credit to the record keeper when asked that we can make that happen. And that's what Marquette has done. When one other aspect of the fee discussion, which we maybe skipped over, was revenue credits for some of the proprietary investment vehicles that were in the menu. How were those addressed or utilized relative to the administrative costs? Revenue credits don't just exist within proprietary vehicles or products within the plan, but revenue sharing and those arrangements do within several share classes of many funds. We commend a lot of the fund providers that are out there that have created products that eliminate the revenue sharing. But if it does happen to exist under ERISA, this is a plan asset. And we feel the best approach is to credit the individual who happened to accrue that revenue sharing and generate it because it came out of their net return or loss. Basically, it's built into the expense ratio for the investment that that participant had within that particular fund. So it's been our recommendation to try to remove this from the discussion. If revenue sharing exists, rebate it back. People will see a credit on their statement, making sure the record keepers can do so. And when they do so is equally important and something to understand, but most can and will we think it's the best practice. Claudia and Jessica, I think you've been a bit modest speaking about the impact your diligence has had on Marquette's plan expenses. As you know, annually, Francis presents your committee with a detailed analysis of the total plan cost and each underlying component of that cost. And Marquette, just over the past few years, you've reduced total costs by over 30%. You still remain significantly below the national benchmark costs for a plan of your size and your participant counts. Those results just underscore the importance for the plan sponsors listening to commit the time and the attention to this aspect of their oversight. The ultimate beneficiary, of course, the participants whose accounts grow meaningfully faster without the drag of excessive administrative fees. So Claudia, Jessica, hats off to you and to the rest of the committee. In a relatively short period of time, the Marquette's made some meaningful changes to the Employee Retirement Act. 
And Jessica and Claudia, as you reflect on these accomplishments, what wisdom would you share with your peers at educational institutions who are tasked with oversight and the operation of their benefit? I think I would start by talking with my peers at other institutions and encouraging them to be sure that they have a partner like Francis Investment Council available and involved. There are some excellent record keepers out there, and this is not to take anything away from them at all. What they do is an excellent job, and it's an essential part of running a 403B plan. But they are not sitting in a fiduciary role for the most part. And that is a key distinction. When you have a party that is working with you that actually undertakes that fiduciary relationship to the participants, to the plan itself, then you know that what you're hearing has to be in the best interests of the plan and of the participants. And that's hugely important. And I would encourage people not to overlook that aspect of a relationship like the relationship that we have with Francis Investment Council. Yeah, I would agree. And I would also add that, at least from our board of trustees, they need the comfort that the RPC, that we have it, that we're doing our due diligence, that we have an eye on our fiduciary duties, that we exercise discipline, that we can do everything and we consider everything from those conversations with Francis on the quarterly investment reviews, that we have guiding documents to help inform and monitor performance. And on the flip side of that, we also have the operational backing to make sure that we're running it technically correctly as well. And, you know, we have to be doing that right, but the board has to know that we've got it and that we're doing it right as well. And again, having come into Marquette University at a time where the conversations were just at the point where we were doing the RFP for a partner, I was hugely relieved to know that we were about to have a partner. And then when I found out it was Francis, having heard of Francis from my previous employer, I was really, really pleased that we would have that partnership because that's really what this is. It is a partnership and toward that same goal to be doing the best for our plan participants. Thanks, Claudia. So as we wrap up this edition of Francis Investment Council's Fiduciary Advice Podcast, I think it's that last comment from Claudia that underscores the true reason why an organization needs to be extremely diligent in their monitoring of the plan costs. And as Claudia said, it's all about that partnership with your advisor and your service provider to make sure you're doing the best for your plan participants. I know Mike and Kevin joined me in thanking our guests today, Claudia Page and Jessica Franken from Marquette University. Watch for the continuation of this discussion with Marquette in an upcoming podcast as we explore their experience working with Francis to conduct a detailed operational review of their plan administrative procedures and the alignment with the plan's adoption agreement. For more information on Francis Investment Council and how we might assist in your plan oversight, please visit our website at www.francisinv co.com. Thank you for listening today. And please visit other editions of our fiduciary advice podcast as we discuss a range of issues facing retirement plan sponsors. Please enjoy your day.